0: Oh, and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay, a queer exploration of pretty little liars.
1: With your hosts, Speak Pirate, aka Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer.
0: And your other host, LCO123, aka Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus. And tonight, we are talking about Of Late, I Think
1: of Rosewood. Oh my goodness, we're here our first time jump episode Uh, and I will actually say like this episode is not one of the worst episodes of the jump it's actually I think one of the best episodes of the jump probably easily top five Um, it's thoughtful it's well directed and it's interesting
0: yeah, it feels like it's setting up a lot of things that won't really come to fruition and it's uh, it's interesting watching it now. I had not watched it I I don't think since watching it for the first time because I felt like I both enjoyed it more and less. I enjoyed it more because I knew what was going to come, but I enjoyed it less because I knew what was going to come and I was like this isn't going to um there, this isn't going to quite like live up to some of the interesting dynamics that this episode seems to kind of be hinting at a little bit
1: yeah yeah um of course it's super disappointing in that this episode sees the death of charlotte de laurentis after um after making a big deal about how no 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 we weren't equating her transness with villainy no uh they double down on their decision to have her be the villain and they instantly kill her off which as i often say is the least interesting thing that you can do with a character once they're dead their story is over uh, and it really like, you know, obviously no further growth, no further um, no further anything is possible. So that's a bummer. Um, however, I think that we also have to consider when we're thinking about that, we, we don't want to bury our gaze. We don't want to, um, you know, we don't want that to be a thing, but how much do we trust the show to do a good job with Charlotte's character after the hot mess uh, that was game over dead name? Um, not at all. So there we have it.
0: Well, that was a question that I had for you because not only is Charlotte killed in this episode and she's actually killed pretty far into this episode, but she is barely in it. Vanessa Ray has like one scene maybe. And a question that I have is, do you think that they killed her as a reaction to the negative reaction of the reveal? Uh, maybe like them being like, ah, we don't know what we're doing. We we can't, uh, you know, we kind of want to somehow like we want to kill this character off so we don't have to deal with her basically. Or do you think this was always the plan that Charlotte was going to be killed right after she was revealed?
1: Um. I don't know. I, You know, of course, PLL always says like, oh, everything was a thing they were planning like for four <laughs> years at least. Um, But I would say that I think it was mostly just laziness. I think that they didn't want to have to work very hard to come up with a mystery that was going to bring all of the liars back. And so they were just like, oh, here, this will be, like, I think they just reached for some low-hanging
0: fruit. Well, and what's so funny is that like, That doesn't even really end up being the mystery that like carries out through most of this time jump because they they very quickly like scrabble together a bunch of other kind of mysteries, both big and small and other deaths. And like it doesn't like Rollins's death, which will come at some point and is a significant plot point, actually isn't really connected to Charlotte's death. Which is weird because there are two characters who theoretically should be connected. So it's, yeah, it's interesting that it's like, they didn't, it's not that this would make it okay, but it's not even like they sacrificed Charlotte for a really juicy mystery plot.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, they they sacrificed Charlotte for a mediocre, at best, mystery plot. And one of the things that is an issue as the time jump goes on is that Charlotte's death is supposed to be the inciting incident for, for the rest of the jump. And yeah. the liars only, they only care about it very sporadically. They only remember it very sporadically. So it doesn't really like, it, it doesn't really like form a cohesive narrative in any
0: way. And it doesn't ever feel like a. I—I I think that they sort of toy with this idea at some point, but it doesn't ever feel like a real possibility that one of the liars would was actually involved in the death.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and so that eliminates some stakes right there. Yeah, true, true. Um, I just want to say before we dive into this episode, so we've talked a little bit about Charlotte, we are going to uh, we've talked about how in this time jump period, we're going to need more breaks from the regular show because it's just it's a bit of a trying time Uh, now that Charlotte's arc is pretty much closed uh we are going to next week uh rather than jumping right into uh, episode 12 of this season we're going to do a little kind of charlotte retrospective like pay tribute to the charlotte character so we'll talk about charlotte some here for sure but we'll we'll have a more full discussion about charlotte next week yes absolutely uh so jumping right in uh the first
1: thing that happens is the black title card starts us off Telling us it's five years later.
0: Actually, you know what we get even before that? A bunch more misgendering of Charlotte in the oh, previous leaves. In
1: the previous leaves, I actually just I skipped the previous leaves for this episode because I was like, uh, I just can't. But yes, we do. We do.
0: They somehow used. Charlotte's dead name like five times in a 25 second previously's clip. It is almost impressive. Yeah. 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 So,
1: yeah, I one thing I'm really grateful for as we go into the time jump, and you're not going to hear me say that about a lot of things, but I will say that I think we can uh, use the actual episode titles for every episode post-jump. I don't think that we have to uh, I don't think we have to sub any words out for dead name, uh, which I am happy about.
0: What a victory! Wow.
1: <laughs> Game I mean, man. If if the last three years have taught us anything, it's you gotta take the wins where you find them, and <laughs> true. I'm true. I'm taking it. Yeah, uh, I'll
0: take it too. I'll take oh, it too. Okay.
1: The the black title card starts us off, telling us five years later. Um, other things that I think this title card could have said besides five years later. Um, I think it could have said, uh, everyone's hair is worse. Uh, or, <laughs> <laughs> or it could have said, like, enough years that bangs are a thing. Um, but it just says five years later, we'll let everyone make their uh, make their own judgments about the rest of that. Um, we open on Rosewood High with the echoes of the liar's voices, um, you know, kind of coming through the hallway as the camera takes us down uh, the familiar paths past the row of lockers. Uh, They do like a nice selection of choosing lines that speak to the trauma of a, and also to the strength of the liar bond. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then the voice becomes Alison's the camera is now at the doorway of her classroom. As she reads Shakespeare's sonnet 30 to the class, all sweet, silent thoughts and remembrance of things past and, death's dateless night uh she seems surprised by the bell and tells her class that tomorrow they'll read to her ally's look is more adult but it's also softer i think there are more notes of allison looking like hannah uh to Mm. this look i feel um she is wearing a floral print skirt and a blue and white striped shirt and a blue blazer um they did good i think she does look like a teacher here Uh, As her class files out, we meet our first new character of the jump. It is Dr. Rollins showing up to her class like a creep because he wants to give her the news in person. The judge set a date for Charlotte's hearing, but it's in four days. Uh, She hugs him and already I don't like it. Um, The court is going to compel the liars to appear and Allison wants to send something in. I guess the imaginary subpoenas as an enclosure um, seems weird, but Dr. Rollins says that, you know, he'll handle it. He warns her that her friends might not be sympathetic to their cause, but Allison says he doesn't know them like
0: she does. Yeah. It's also weird that Allison is like, I need to handwrite these letters when time is of the essence like she will explain in a minute why that is but it's like Allison come on also I feel like Allison is not a very good teacher like she just fully like fugues out in front of her class here like she doesn't seem to give them any assignment she's just like kind of reading like Presra, no Prezra's not a better teacher but like it's it's I'm not feeling I'm not feeling impressed by Allison as a teacher here,
1: uh, yeah, okay. Vina. i I don't disagree with you based on the facts, but I will remind you that other teachers we know of who teach at the school include Prezra and Ella. <sighs> yeah, i I feel like Allison is I, I
0: mean, I feel like she is, um, not the worst. <laughs> she's not the worst. Yeah, she's kind of... She's, she- I feel like her, her style is actually probably pretty similar to Ella. Like, just kind of zoning remember, out. Or,
1: was it Ella who organized the anti-bullying day? <laughs> remember,
0: like... <laughs> Ella also... Remember I- the level of administrative confidence we generally see at this school? I mean... <laughs> That is fair. Also, I'm remembering that time that Ella had her date night dress just hanging up in front of her entire class all day. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. right. I mean, Allison, Allison. Allison.
1: Allison was actually like reading class material, and it wasn't *To Kill a Mockingbird*. Nor was it um. What what else do they always read? Like they went through a period oh. where they were reading *The Scarlet Letter*. They I think went through the a *Bad period, like, Seed*. Didn't
0: they do *The Bad oh, Seed*? That it was, was the play. Yeah. Yeah. So I
1: mean, I feel like yeah. Allison is like reading them poetry, and it's it's Shakespeare, and that's actually like we had to read a sonnet uh, or or part of a play. At one point, when I was like in high school, so this is like maybe an actual assignment that someone might have.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and as far as we know, she isn't sleeping with any students. So like right. already, that's a that's a plus. That's a plus. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you're right. We gotta we gotta look at the wins. <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta look at the wins. <laughs> so we have them. <laughs> So we get this sort of uh, mini montage. We're hearing Allison's letter over footage of the liars. First, we see Spencer in front of green screen DC. I almost do not know why they bothered with this, as the green screen nature of it is so very obvious. Um, We get a few little kind of fake outs in this sequence. We go over to Aria, who almost looks like she is the author of a book about to uh, Sign some books, but then we see she is merely prepping the actual author and taking a peep at Presra's book named Ostinato, <laughs> because of course it is. Uh, we overhear Allison, she's saying, you know, explaining that even though time is of the essence, she wanted them to touch paper that she's touched. Uh, she talks about how they've been through things that nobody else has experienced. We see Hannah on an airplane um, sipping on what looks like a gin and tonic. And this is a fake out where she's kind of talking to a little girl next to her. And there's a moment of like, is is Hannah a mother? But no, uh, she is just watching this baby and the baby's mom returns. Uh, Emily is a bartender who pockets her tips and wears a shirt that says, if you like pina coladas, Um, Emily's life seems like it's probably the most fun. Uh, Allison says that her reason for the letter is that she just wants five minutes to talk to them, five minutes to explain about Charlotte, five minutes that can change the whole world.
1: Yes. Yes. So, um, just to talk a little bit about the looks that the liars are sporting here, Spencer, uh, has these truly awful, awful bangs. Um, but she's also, she's wearing like a white blouse and kind of a a trench coat. Uh, this is actually Spencer's best look of the episode um, because the, I, I don't know what's going on with Spencer's wardrobe uh, in this episode and kind of for the rest of the season um, they they really they don't do a good job. She looks super frumpy uh, and like frumpy from like the 50s, uh, like a
0: vintage frump, I think, that's as, so as time goes on. That's so funny. I did not you're talking about Spencer's outfit here? Yeah, Spencer's
1: <laughs> outfit. I, I think that this outfit is pretty good, but later she's going to be wearing that strange capelet. And then after that, she, like, I, I just feel like Spencer has a lot of things going on that I don't understand in terms of her wardrobe in this episode.
0: See, I felt like she had kind of like, uh, like sort of slouchy professional gay look about her.
1: Oh, maybe that's why I like this particular look. I do think that the trench coat is pretty gay.
0: Yeah, but I actually feel like her ep- her outfit for the later in the episode she's wearing jeans, which I feel like we never see Spencer in jeans. Mm. So,
1: okay, know. well we'll we'll keep an eye on her wardrobe as uh as the jump unfolds. Um, Arya, her hair is a little bit lighter on the ends, and she's wearing like a a strange skirt. Uh, but her outfit overall is like nothing uh compared to the kind of things that she wore in high school. So she does yeah. look. I feel like a little bit more grown up. Um, I do, I, I don't want to like focus on Prezra's dumb book, but uh, I do like that it's on a display of books you may have missed and that on the back of the book, uh, when she's looking at this giant picture of his smug, smug face, uh, it refers to him as a former English professor, which remember when he taught at Hollis for like a week before Byron got him fired? Former English professor Presra Fitz and that when he is not running the brew, uh, he concocts his own juice
0: blends. Made him the man he is today. Oh my goodness! What oh a my weird, goodness. just like what a weird shadow play callback, by the way. Ugh,
1: indeed. Oh, for real, for real. Yeah. Uh, and then Hannah, I think that she looks a little icier, um, possibly because she's like on this plane, possibly because she's drinking. Uh, what, what we're meant to think is, I believe vodka out of this glass. This is by the way, drink number one in this episode, I'm going to keep a tally as we go through. So this is the first drink we see one of the liars having here. Um, I think that her, like her makeup is just, it's like a little colder than it used to be. And her hair is kind of an icier blonde. Do you agree? Yeah. And it, it looks very wig like. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes, it does. And then Emily, um, she's actually looking great. Uh, California does agree with her. Um, We don't actually see the bottom of her shirt. We see the top uh, where it does say, if you like pina coladas. And I can only assume that the bottom half of the shirt probably says, you'll love me going down on you.
0: (laughs) That is the vibe that Emily is giving off in this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, did you have any other thoughts on their various looks at this time? I No, I think you did a great job. In general, yeah. I think the word that I would use to describe the fashion in general in this episode, which is not a word I would usually use to describe fashion on PLL, is kind of subdued. It's like mm-hmm. a little bit on the subdued side. Actually, their funeral attire is probably like the most wild but i do think it's worth noting that i believe mandy line who was the costume designer uh for much of the series was not the costume designer when they went to the time jump and i think you can kind of tell like it's missing that particular touch of pll zaniness it's it's missing the zaniness and i also feel like um the
1: wardrobes are not as specific like there are definitely i totally agree like, normally, whatever outfit Aria is wearing, you like, you, you could just, like, look at that on the rack and be like, oh, that's Aria. Like, nobody else is going to be wearing that outfit. Whereas the outfit that Aria is wearing in this episode, I could see Hannah wearing that.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like also Hannah's outfit, like, when they're out drinking, that whole outfit is just, it's kind of boring like it's just it doesn't seem like something Hannah would wear especially if she's somebody who like is working in the fashion industry as she will remind us a few times
1: right well and remember uh, remember how it was like a really funny joke when Spencer had been wearing like flip flops and her gym clothes and then Uh she borrowed an outfit from Hannah and you could tell like Spencer looked like she was wearing Hannah's clothes like you could tell what thing belonged to what liar and I feel like in this episode like you were talking about like slouchy gay uh, like Spencer's outfit could be worn by Emily and it would be like, it, it could go for either of them.
0: Totally, totally. And I feel like any of their outfits could maybe be worn by Mona, although Mona is a woman of multitudes, so.
1: I mean, Mona probably has worn most of their clothes like, <laughs> on, on various occasions. Like, you know, she's still sneaking into their closets and like having little fashion shows at her leisure.
0: yeah. That is fair. That is fair.
1: (laughs) Um, So now Allison is in Charlotte's room in a nicer looking place than Radley ever was. There's like carpet, a chair. The bed is nicely made. uh, And it's a real bed. It's not a cot like they had at Radley. Um, Charlotte wonders if the liars will come and if they are still upset with her. Um, Allison takes her hand and promises that she'll bring her home. They hug. And this moment, it actually seems very real, like they have earned this new place in their relationship, uh, which really sucks even more, given what the show is ultimately going to do to Charlotte's character later in this episode.
0: Yeah, it's it is it is it, it is weird. It is weird to see her in this moment. And it's it's interesting to see her so, yeah, so vulnerable with Allison here. And it, it really breaks my heart that we get such a limited amount of time of their relationship.
1: Yeah. And I think it really is, like, it's maddening that not only do they kill Charlotte, but then at, by the time we get to the end of the show, it's like, oh, yeah, she was going to restart the game. She wasn't reformed at all. She was like just going to like go back to her old ways, etc. And so she had to be killed. Um, I really feel like that that cheapens all of this. You know, this this just cheapens uh, everything that we see or that we learn about her relationship with Allison over these five years.
0: Yeah, and it it, it yeah it just makes it feel like everything like. The show already has such a terrible track record, obviously, with, like, how it portrays Charlotte through all of this. But I feel like then it's, you know, making her redemption a performance just adds to the, like, bad tropiness around, like, oh, a trans person who is performing and tricking the people around her. Like, it's just not a good look. Um, But what do we think of these new credits? Oh uh, well, the I mean the big news
1: of the credits is that they include Allison now standing next to her future ex-wife, <laughs> and uh, it's a it, it's like a rotating shush.
0: Yeah, I something about the rotating shush feels a little wrong to me. Like I feel like the shush belongs to Aria.
1: Well, you know, I, <laughs> I was watching the credits and I was actually like. Like one of the things I was thinking about, like as I was going through this episode, um, because there there's a moment that we're going to talk about in a in a little bit uh, that had me like going back and like looking at some of the articles um, from this era of PLL, and it made me think about how like when we get towards the end, like PLL isn't even a show so much as it is just like a marketing phenomenon where it's like what. (laughs) (laughs) what's the campaign that they're doing? Like, what's the, you know, what are the, like, little uh, hints that they're dropping? What are the misdirections that they're up to? Uh, And I was thinking about how it was such a big deal that there were these new credits, and that the shush was going to be rotating, and that, like, here's Allison, and they're all wearing black, and what's going on? And I was just thinking about how, like, It doesn't matter at all. Like of all the things that are totally meaningless, like the fact that the credits now have a rotating shush is like that that was a big event. It just told me like how empty the jump actually was going to be in terms of
0: content. Well, you know, that is such a good point. And it actually it goes to something that I was thinking about when I was watching this episode, especially with our discussion last week about like how much did you know or not know kind of going into the jump? Is like, you know, uh, Hannah is engaged in this episode, and eventually um, Jordan will be mentioned, her her fiance, and it and I was trying to remember. I was like, did they ever tease the idea that Hannah and Caleb were engaged? And I realized, like, no. I think I think everybody kind of went into the jump. Maybe people who were really avoiding spoilers didn't, but I feel like marketing-wise, everybody kind of went into the jump knowing, like, Hannah is engaged to a man who is not Caleb. And I was thinking about, like, what a weird – like, that was the thing that was marketed. And I was thinking, like, what a weird thing that you would make such a point of, like marketing details of a show that theoretically the show should be doing that work for you. But it's, I mean, the whole Emerson end game thing is, is completely the same thing. Well, okay. I'm, I'm going to tell you my theory, which I'm, I'm
1: probably going to bring up a lot during the okay. time jump. And that is the show only has one idea and it's what worked before. And so yeah. the show is like, well, what worked before? Uh, well, it worked when we had Hannah and Caleb fall in love. Uh, it worked when we had Presria get together. It worked like so they're like, let's yeah. just set all those up again. Let's just get to tell like another love story where we bring these two same characters
0: back together.
1: Um, they just don't really have a lot of fresh ideas, I feel.
0: Yeah, yeah. And yes, I think the fact like we kind of talked about last week, like, oh, this way that they could have progressed this storyline along further. And I think I think you're absolutely right that it's like, well, if they'd done that, then then we wouldn't get to do the same thing all over again. Yeah, for sure. Which is what they want which is what they want. So post-credits, we are 24 minutes into our episode and about maybe three minutes into the episode as a whole, but that's okay. Uh, (laughs) Post-credits, we see the town of Rosewood. Spencer is getting out of a town car. I thought she looked pretty queer in this outfit. She's wearing kind of like a loose button-up, a wool jacket and jeans, those terrible bangs. Uh, But she is stepping out of a car across the street from Lucky Leon's. Uh, there is a group of four teenage girls sitting outside and Spencer watches them kind of wistfully. The girls get a simultaneous text and there's a moment of tension as Spencer clearly, you know, worries that maybe A is targeting these girls. But then the girls laugh off the text and we see Spencer visibly relax. Uh,
1: cut to Emily furtively taking some kind of prescription drug. Suddenly, hands are over her eyes and it's Hannah. They hug, clearly delighted, talking about how much they missed each other. Ew, get a room, we hear as Spencer and Aria walk into the space that is now clearly the brew. Ha ha, Aria, they'll, you know, need a pretty big room. Then we get this weird artistic choice of seeing pictures <laughs> of the liars that show them reconnecting uh, and spares us having the, like, you know, the writers having to do any actual dialogue for this part. Um, it's kind of interesting considering how monitored they have generally been and how it really captures the surface, but not what's underneath.
0: Well, it was also making me think a little bit about like the show is almost a little bit morphed into that place where the actors and the characters are one and the same. And like these, I'm I would say with some certainty, these are like the same shots that the actresses posted on their Instagrams. You know, like these are just shots of the four of them hanging out together.
1: Because is it a show or is it a marketing campaign? Like, is this part of the
0: show or is this Instagram content? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really interesting to think about. Um, Also, uh, Hannah, I feel like she learned that move from Caleb of just sneaking up behind a traumatized girl and putting her hands around her eyes. Um, In all of these shots, we're getting Hannah's giant engagement ring. Um, and like the, the delivery of Spencer saying, you know, get, telling them to get a room. I feel like the subtext there is, can she watch, um, (laughs) (laughs) Spencer feels more Troyan to me in the, in this episode. I don't know if you felt that, but she feels more like, like, and maybe it's just the interpretation of a more grown up Spencer, but like, she felt more Troyany to me.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah, Um, I mean, as much as like we know what Troyan is like in this like parasocial (laughs) world we live in. Uh, so a little bit later, the liars are still at the brew. They are sitting around talking about their very fancy lives. Uh, Hannah can't give away any details about the fall collection, and she is considering Italy for her wedding. Uh, Emily apparently banged a hot Italian girl at some point and is obviously lying about attending the Salk Institute and also keeps making weird comments that suggest she might be poor. Uh, Aria is in a relationship with an adorable guy named Liam, and Spencer has recently broken up with the ambassador's son. Uh, The liars ponder the prospect of Charlotte, or A, as Aria wants them to refer to Charlotte as, Uh, getting out they agree that a lot has happened but all without a and now a wants to go home Spencer ever the leader tells them that they're going to meet with Allison and there seems to be this vibe of like we are just going to take this one slow step at a time uh and and sort of try not to get too emotionally charged up about any of this Yes.
1: Yes. Agree. Um, I like this scene. I like the way that Emily uh, deflects any kind of like serious inquiries into what's going on with her by talking about this Italian girl uh, that that she apparently banged. Uh, Also a note on Spencer and the Salk Institute. She's like, Oh, all that amazing uh, Louis Kahn architecture. Well, like, first of all, uh, that made me think is famous, you know, Rosewood resident, Noel Kahn, a descendant of the architect who designed the Salk Institute. Um, But also that guy was like, he designed so many things in Pennsylvania. It is really weird that they're going to have Spencer like name check that when like she could literally like go to Philadelphia and see one of his buildings anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) For sure. Uh, (laughs) Next, we see Emily Emily and Pam Pam. uh, discussing how long Emily is going to be able to stay. They chat about someone named Greg, who Pam is apparently taking a break from. Uh, They'll talk it over uh, while having some tea. Emily goes to walk into the house, but she pauses to touch the window pane where the gold star flag is displayed, signaling that Wayne Fields has died, presumably killed in action.
0: Yes. And that Emily is very concerned, it seems, about the prospect of her mom not being with somebody in the wake of this.
1: Yeah, about her mom being alone, which is, like, really interesting because we know that, like, one of the ways that Emily has processed her grief or processes grief in general uh, in the wake of Maya dying, for example, is by, like, sleeping with her entire Habitat crew. Uh, So I think that she is, like you know extra concerned that that seems to be not a thing that her mom is taking on <laughs> they, they
0: they grieve in different ways it would seem <laughs> it, agreed agreed um so we go over to the radley um which is now a swanky hotel however they have kept the sanatorium sign and the doors which is an interesting choice um, we see that Ashley Marin is the one who uh, owns this establishment. She and Hannah are having some brunch and drinking some giant glasses of wine outside. Uh, this episode, in addition to obviously the the transphobic nature of the killing of Charlotte, is full of like horrible language about mental illness. Like it is cranked up, like. Like, I feel like it's like early season three when Mona was first in Radley Levels. Um, and Hannah refers to this place as the Nut Nuthouse. Uh, Ashley assures her that they have evicted all of the ghosts. Uh, Hannah says that next time she, she will bring Jordan, her fiancé, and it seems like there's some tension here about perhaps how often Hannah visits Ashley. Uh, Ashley expositions that Allison's been trying to get Charlotte out since she was locked up, and then there is a very weird moment where uh, Ashley refers to Charlotte as a person that um, did things to Hannah in a line that is very clearly ADR'd. And I watched this scene back multiple times. I swear that it is very, uh, to my eyes, it is very likely that Ashley's original line in referring to Charlotte was the T-slur, which is shocking if that is the case.
1: I mean, when you, you texted me about that, and I really, I couldn't tell. I watched it, but my lip-reading skills were just not, were not as um, adept as yours. I agree that I don't think that the original line was person, just based on the way that her mouth kind of goes up at the end of the word. Um, but the thing is, like, the thing that is, like, is more upsetting is, like, whether whether that supposition is correct or not, like, it would not surprise me. I would not, like... I would not say, oh, there's absolutely no way that the show ever had that in the script. Um, yeah, it would not surprise me at all if they did. Um, but yeah, if, if your lip reading skills are better than ours, please let us know uh,
0: what you think that Ashley says here originally, because we do not think it was person. Um, it's around the 10 minute, like 40 second mark of the episode, if anybody wants to go right there. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I think I was when I was watching it. I was starting at like nine forty-five. Mm. Um, was was where I like started my scene watch, and I was like watching, watching, watching. Um, but yeah. Uh, also, in this particular brunch scene, uh, I'm counting drinks two and three based on the wine
0: glasses on the table. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the liars are adults and they are drinking. That is they are. what the show is telling us, but. Uh, This scene ends with Hannah kind of snapping at Ashley that she knows exactly what Charlotte did to her and exactly what she is going to say. Yes, yes. Uh,
1: Cut to Aria, who is at the Montgomery house, giving Byron a present on behalf of Liam. Uh, It's the James Tiptree short stories that Byron had been talking about. So this is kind of a fun transition Uh, Emily has been talking to her mom about her mom's boyfriend uh, who she didn't know Pam was on a break with. Then Ashley is like a little upset that Hannah uh, doesn't visit enough and doesn't bring her fiance with her when she does. And now we get Aria uh, who apparently sees Byron often enough that he has met Liam and mentioned this author uh, who Liam is now kind of sucking up uh, by sending these short stories with Aria. Um, Also, this is a great piece of foreshadowing as James Tiptree was uh, it's the pen name of Alice Bradley Sheldon, who is a former military intelligence officer and famous sci fi writer from the 70s who wrote under a male pseudonym. So that's like some nice Mm -hmm. foreshadowing for Aria, who is going to be um, who's going to be writing uh, as Prezra later this season. Anyway, I find all that much more interesting than the rest of Arya's convo with her dad, from which we learn that was back in town, he's living above the brew, they touch on something grim happening in South America, uh, they mention Nicole, they say 15 are dead or missing, uh, and Arya's like, yes, I wrote to him after Nicole, but he never wrote back. I,
0: <sighs> it is, it is... there are a lot of storylines post-Time Jump that, are questionable to me. This is the one of the weirdest to me. This whole idea that in the time, in these five years, Nicole was like building, was it where, was it in like Nicaragua? Where was it? Was it was just Oh, I, I don't
1: know. We'll have to. Yeah, right now yeah. it's just South America. They just South America.
0: Yeah. The, the, none of the politics of this, by the way, seem very sound or very good. <laughs> um, but this whole idea that like Nicole was like, dragged away by revolutionaries and has been held captive for years. It's such a strange choice. Like it's such a weird choice and it's such a weird it like it so clearly is just so that we can feel bad for like Man pain Presra and basically so like he can do a bunch of terrible shit to all of the liars and none of them can get mad at him. But it's like such a strange decision especially for a character who Like, we saw Interact with Presra like, maybe twice.
1: (laughs) Well, also, I feel like the show expects us to be invested. uh, It expects us to be invested, like, in this Nicole situation. And it expects us to be invested in, like, Sarah Harvey in ways that, like, I, I don't know why it ever thinks we would care about those things. Like, the show has done zero work except to, like, hang up a sign with an arrow on it that says, care here. Uh, And it's just not, it's not enough for me.
0: (laughs) It's not enough for me either. Uh, But I actually do quite like this next scene. Uh, We are over at the Hastings house and a Veronica Hastings for state Senate ad is playing uh, in the Hastings kitchen, which is all decked out in various uh, campaign uh, products, you know, pins and flags and such. Uh, Spencer is being sort of lovingly snarky to her mom. We learn that Peter is in Harrisburg raising money because of course he is. Uh, Veronica tells her that Spencer's involvement in government is responsible for Veronica deciding to run for for state Senate. Uh, Spencer insists that she isn't a lobbyist. Veronica playfully argues with her. And Spencer tells her that she is very proud of Veronica. They embrace. And it is probably one of the sweetest Veronica Spencer scenes we get in the entire run of the series.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would totally. I would totally agree with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 really, really sweet.
1: Um,
0: meanwhile,
1: Aria has returned to the brew just in time to see some sad man pants shuffling down the stairs and then to see Prezra in his unkempt, vaguely limping, <laughs> looking like he hasn't showered for months, possibly years, glory. They stare at each other. And we are meant to understand they are having
0: a moment. Yes. Yes.
1: Uh, can I, should, I, should I continue with our it, Prezra?
0: If you'd like, I also can take it if you want me to. Uh, way, right.
1: Next, they're sitting together. They're having coffee. Uh, he says Arya's bosses are very angry with him. They gave him an advance on a second book. Um, Aria, like, very, you know, very, like, kindly says, you know, they aren't mad. They know about what happened in South America, and they understand. And this leads to Presra biting Aria's head off for trying to be nice to him and going on a tirade about, well, he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand what happened to Nicole. Going somewhere to help shouldn't cost you your life. I am going to shout at you about all of my man pain so you know the more things change the more things stay the same
0: (laughs) yeah it it's it really is like you can tell that he was just waiting for somebody to yell at this day you know and like Arya (laughs) just so happens to be the one on the receiving end and it's like because of the way they've set up this storyline he gets to just be real shitty to her and she just has to take it you know yes
1: yes and also i do have to say that prezra Uh, during the jump you know whatever else he's been up to not shaving not showering uh, he has clearly also gone to the detective tanner school of scenery chewing because (laughs) this like the way he like dials it up to a 15 there like man there there is some scenery that has some big old bites taken out of it here
0: (laughs) yes yes agreed uh so This is a scene that I was surprised by how much I enjoyed, which is uh, Spencer is getting out of her car. There's a lot of Spencer getting out of cars this episode. Uh, She is approaching Toby, who is on kind of a a big plot of land with a bunch of uh, construction and wood around him. He has graduated from being a teen architect and is now an adult architect. Uh, He says that he has plans for a house. They joke about how they both curse a lot in their new lives and it's very therapeutic. She gets a little weird when he asks about Caleb and seems surprised to learn that they are still fishing bros. Toby, who seems more like relaxed and happy than maybe we've ever seen him on the show, uh, jokes about how they're the brotherhood of ex-boyfriends. They've got to stick together. Um, he, it was funny because I had forgotten if he was still a a cop at this point. And I was like, oh, surely he can't still be a cop because he's like, he's so nice now. Um, he seems surprised that all of the liars are back in Rosewood at the same time. Uh, there's sort of some discussion about like what kind of friends they are to each other. She says they're not go to the movie type friends. Uh, but they're, you know, you saved my life one time friends. Spencer acknowledges that he knows he was there. She isn't sure how long she'll be staying. He asks to buy her dinner and she agrees and promises to call him. Um, As she walks away, she notes that he is, he must be building a house for somebody. Um, I don't know if maybe like these two just work better as exes. I don't know if Keegan was just so happy to not have to play like the Toby angsty mean dad of the last few seasons. But like, I found this scene kind of delightful. Yeah. Yeah. This is like, I
1: was on watch. Cause you mentioned that you like him better post jump when they're not together. And uh, so far I, I really agree. This is a nice scene between the two of them. Um, Spencer seems kind of wistful about yeah. him and about their, you know, their old relationship. Um, and yeah, I, I will also say that I found it hilarious that he's building this house we don't see a foundation for it anywhere, which is even more funny considering it's going to eventually be complete with a basement cell block at <laughs> the end of the series.
0: <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, I will say, and we'll get to it in a few minutes, I also like his scene with Emily. Yes, yes, I, I agree. Toby
1: in this episode uh, is, is really very... Very tolerable. He's even somewhat pleasant to watch. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll go so far as to say he, I find him pleasant
0: in this episode. I know, a shocking, a shocking uh, departure. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, um. In Allison's classroom, she is giving the liars the hard sell. She claims that Charlotte has gotten the help she never had when she was younger. She's better. Uh, they need to tell the judge that they aren't afraid of her anymore. The liars are not sold. We learned that Mona is also testifying. Uh, She demanded to be heard, which is like, I don't know why they're acting like, oh yeah, that pushy Mona demanded to be heard. Like Mona was also kidnapped by Charlotte and kept in an underground bunker for like six months. I don't think that Mona is being like a diva by demanding that, like, and also like, (laughs) wouldn't you think that if the court is making the liars appear, the court would make Mona appear? Like, I really, uh, I really don't understand where like, Allison's acting like oh, the nerve <laughs> the nerve of Mona wanting to talk about how she was kept underground for six months. Yeah, cool. it's
0: it said with the air of like, oh, like Mona is like asking to speak to the manager, you know? <laughs>
1: um, they're worried, the liars are worried about Sarah Harvey uh, testifying. And this is like our our first like moment of like, oh, the liars have like some nervous energy about whatever's going on with Sarah Harvey. Uh, But Sarah Harvey can't testify because of how her criminal charges are resolved. What a weird plea bargain, apparently. (laughs) um, That, like, your criminal charges are resolved, but you won't ever be able to speak at a hearing about whether your kidnapper can be released. Okay. Um, But anyway, the liars uh, seem anxious about what if Sarah Harvey says anything about that night at Radley. Uh, Also, Jason does not agree with Allie and Dr. Rollins that Charlotte should be released. The liars do not say yes or no, but they seem really reluctant to go along with what Allie's asking of them. Uh, Allison says this is her only chance at having a real family. She even says please. And Spencer, again, acting as the leader, tells her they are not on the playground anymore.
0: Yeah, um, this is an interesting scene. I have expected... um... Uh, Allison to say who's Sarah Harvey when Sarah comes up like I I I would kind of love if that became a recurring joke that Allison just never knew who Sarah Harvey was Um, and I think it's really interesting that like Jason is mentioned here but it does not appear in the episode I also think that like there's clearly so much unexplored animosity between like we saw the Liars and Allison, you know, at the end, uh, right before the time jump, and they were embracing, and it was very lovely. And, like, obviously we can infer, okay, Allison kind of uh, aligned herself with Charlotte in these last five years, and the Liars sort of uh, took that as a betrayal, as, as one can understand. But it's like, that feels like such a weird footnote to this episode that I wish was explored further. I definitely agree with that, but I will
1: also say that, like, a lot of this episode is kind of about, like, you can't go home again, or can sure. you? Like, the Liars are all back in Rosewood, a place that none of them seem to feel very comfortable in anymore. Uh, and Allison represents, like, someone who stayed in Rosewood and who yeah. has built a life there. And, like, it's always that feeling of, like, being back, like, in your parents' house or being back, like, in the place where you grew up that makes you feel like, you know, am I still a kid? Am I like regressing and what, what's what's happening? And so I think Allison like represents a lot of that for the liars in a lot of different ways.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Um, so we go over to the Veronica Hastings campaign rally where she is giving a speech about the government. Uh it's kind of an interesting moment where like she's talking about the government, Hannah is sort of almost interacting with the speech by questioning why the truth gets such a good reputation as being purifying when it just makes things more complicated. Uh, Spencer says that they just need to say that they aren't afraid and then they can all go home, uh, which kind of goes to your point that you were just mentioning about the themes of home. Uh, Aria questions if they are actually afraid. Uh, Hannah kind of suggests that maybe they did win after all. You know, they've gotten to to live these lives. Uh, Spencer is about to go walk up on stage when she is accosted by Mona. Uh, Veronica's doing well for such an untested candidate, which Mona, like all of Mona's lines to Spencer in this scene and for the rest of the series sound like a come on, like completely. She, she waved at Spencer at, uh, at this event, but Spencer didn't see her and it's okay. Look at them all this time. And they both end up in the same business. Uh, Spencer kind of rejects this notion. Mona is like, come on, bitch. We both work in politics. Mona asks if Spencer still has nightmares. Mona admits that she does three shrinks and a whole lot of prescriptions, but she still has bad dreams. Uh, Before Spencer can really respond to this, she's being called up to the stage uh, by Veronica still in jeans, which feels like maybe not a choice that Spencer or Veronica would make uh, for her. Uh, Also, would the town of Rosewood really be cheering on Spencer Hastings is a question that I have or Veronica Hastings, but particularly Spencer Hastings. Well, also would
1: Veronica Hastings be having a political event like outside the police station, which is (laughs) where this is taking place.
0: Good point. Good
1: point. Uh, I will say that the sexual tension between Spencer and Mona here is so thick. You can just like, Oh, you could cut that with a knife. Uh, I'm sure Mona would like to. And I really feel like uh, the Spencer in this scene is wearing like, a. I it, it's like sort of a, a rose colored, I guess I would say like a rose colored blouse and like a blue jacket. And when Mona, when Mona comes, Mona is wearing uh, like a darker red shirt that is like just a different hue. And a blue blazer. So they're even They're even dressed very, very similarly, uh, which is a nice nod to the way that PLL of old used to do a lot of identity work around this kind of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. The, the, it's really interesting, the mirroring that goes on in this time jump between Spencer and Mona. Oh, yes. Oh, yes.
1: Uh, so Emily and Toby are sitting together on Emily's porch drinking beers, Drinks four and five of the episode for anyone who's <laughs> counting. Me. Anyway, anyone, anyone, keep counting at home. <laughs> <laughs> um, he talks about how he and Spencer just sort of fell out of sync. Uh, he likes this town, but everywhere Spencer goes, she sees something that she wants to forget. Um, Emily says that she wouldn't have picked Toby and Allison to be the ones who would stay. Uh, he clearly hates having someone, something in common with Allison. Uh, but we learn that he got his degree mostly with night classes. Uh, but he's recently been passed over for promotion. Um, Emily says that college did not click for her like it did for the others. After her dad died, she couldn't see the point anymore uh, to college or really to anything. Uh, and this scene, although Toby's trademark petulance uh, you know, is, is present, uh, it does make me like him more as the show is remembering that he and Emily have uh, a friendship that's independent of everybody else. And also, I like that Emily can open up to him a little more than she can to the liars. Like, there's less pressure uh, yeah. when, you know, like, it's he's not part of the, you know, the core group anymore. Uh, and it's like a little bit of a release valve. He's not going to ask a million follow-up questions to her.
0: Right. Right. Well, and I mean, yeah, Toby also certainly has like a lot of issues with his own family, too. So he can he can for sure relate in that way. Um, Yeah, I really I like this scene. I like being reminded of their friendship, especially when it's like an actual give and take and not just, you know, one sidedly Emily, like propping Toby up as Prince Charming, you know, Um, and it this feels like. Like a lot of the stuff with the liars, it's like, oh, is this really how people in their like, you know, early twenties act? But like the two of them, like sitting on the front steps, drinking a beer, and just like talking about life, like this feels like one of the, what, like one of the more real moments of the episode. I would say. I definitely agree.
1: Well, because like a lot of. um uh a lot of this uh, kind of period of the jump is sort of about these like fabulous lives that the lives yeah. have been leading elsewhere. Um, and with Emily, we kind of do get the feeling like her life elsewhere might not be that fabulous. And also yeah. like, this is very much like you're in your twenties and you actually don't have your own place. <laughs> so you're like <laughs> sitting, you're sitting like on the steps of your parents' house or you're like, sitting in like somebody's car or, like parked on a side street to like, yeah. like talking or whatever.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um so now we are at the hearing. Allison is first to give her statement saying that her family always felt like it was missing a part and she has realized that the missing part is Charlotte, who she has come to know and love. Uh, Spencer coldly says that she's learned that people are not always the things that they do. Charlotte poses no threat to her. Hannah says that she was angry for a long time, but now every morning she gets to be free and she gets to walk in the rain and she doesn't see why Charlotte should miss the chance to also get caught in the rain. And then Emily talks about Wayne saying that he taught her that you always get to decide what to be afraid of. And she has decided that she is not afraid of Charlotte.
1: Yeah, this is um, I like the way that like Spencer says the words first and you actually yeah. like you get the idea that this actually was not necessarily pre-planned among the four of them. Like because there's a shot of the liars like right before Spencer says it and you see like Emily closes her eyes. Hannah has a really stony look on her face like. Aria's expression is like very tense and strained. And then Spencer says that like Charlotte De Laurentiis poses no threat to me. And it's like, once Spencer does it, it's like the die is cast. She does it and the rest of them have to follow her. Like that's, and and that's an interesting, because we're going to see that elsewhere in the season too, when Spencer makes a choice uh, rather than any of, you know, rather any of the other interested parties. Um, And I also... I also like uh, when Hannah is talking, we get a camera shot of Aria that seems to show her making a decision. So you get like Mm-mm. the episode like takes those beats and it's showing you their faces as it moves through uh, as it moves
0: through the hearing. Um, well, I was just gonna say, I, I really like the way this is edited to like it. It's almost. um it feels very sterile the way that it's shot and like, there's not really any background music at this part. And so it just feels very like um, there's nothing very warm or personable about it, which is like very kind of how Spencer had pitched this. She was like, we just have to say, we're not afraid. And then we get to go home.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I would just like to take take a second to consider the way that Rosewood treats survivors here. Like I know this is all just made up for the sake of drama but first they compel them to appear on only four days notice. Like I don't think the court was paying for their plane tickets, right? Uh, Then Allison gets to insert her manipulative little letter in the documents (laughs) that the court is actually sending out. Um, The liars do not get to speak privately with a judge. Everyone has to be there watching them and the absolute onus that it's placing on them, like people who were kidnapped and held against their will to determine whether someone they had at one point considered their friend should continue to be held in a psychiatric facility, like clearly there should be better protocols. Uh, And also if Dr. Rollins is the main psychiatrist involved, shouldn't someone be kind of checking this whole situation (laughs) ship between him and Allison? What a bunch of steaming garbage.
0: Well, also, like, so later we're going to find out that Charlotte and Rollins, like, they have had a whole relationship oh, as course. well. Of course. And, they and like, have. that has not been checked or questioned or anything at all. No. 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 No, guess not.
1: This is just a mess. Oh, so now it is Aria's turn. She has a prepared statement written out. Uh, Talks about what the doctors think. uh, Talks about believing in second chances. Her reading is interrupted by Prezra uh, turning up once again like a bad penny. This is something that's going to happen a lot. This is like their way of injecting some dramatic tension is like someone is going to enter late into an event and then everybody (laughs) turns to look at them. Uh, and it's like, you know, they're kind of going with, like, the sleeping beauty thing. Like, the last one to enter is, you're, you're always expecting it to be the bad fairy that's going to curse everyone. Uh, and here, of course, he's just cursing us with his with his presence. Um, but he, he comes in, and I think we're maybe supposed to feel like um, this is, like, decisive in terms of, like, what happens next. Um, Arya tries to start over, but the judge asks her directly, like, you know, I, I've seen the same reports you have, but would you feel safe if Charlotte were released? Um, under the direct question, Aria flashes back to being in the dollhouse, to being trapped in the box on the Halloween train, to being nearly suffocated by the plastic sheeting in the brew, to the dollhouse again. Uh, and Aria, who, like, we've often talked about, had, like, really the least difficult uh, persecution by A. Uh-huh. Like, but still, like, she... She is in this moment, uh, just right, right back there in the thick of it, and as if it's like an involuntary utterance, her mouth forms the word, no. Uh, she looks over at Allison, and then she continues, no. She would not feel safe. She starts telling a story. She was on the red line. The train got stuck in the tunnel between stations. The power went out. It was dark, and Aria says, I was back in every Box in every dark tight space that A ever put me in and I couldn't breathe. And as she's talking, we see the faces of the other liars and you can tell that it is hitting every single one of them. They all know this feeling. They've all had this exact same experience, whether it was on a train or in their apartments or walking to their cars after work, they know exactly what Aria is talking about. Aria continues that she heard a girl crying and she thought, good, Someone else was scared out of their mind too. And then the power came back on and every single person on the train was staring at her because she was the girl who was crying. Uh, This is so powerful. No, she says she does not want Charlotte released ever. And you know what? This should be enough. Aria giving this statement should be enough to keep Charlotte from being released. But no, we are not through yet.
0: Oh, what's, oh man, I, so I love this moment. Uh, this is definitely one of the best uh, post-jump moments of any of the characters, definitely for Arya. What sucks is that, like, it's in the service of Charlotte not getting the redemption arc that Prezor has gotten, and Toby has gotten, and Mona has gotten. Like, it's, it's, it's frustrating that it's like one of the best moments sort of comes it's it's such a great moment for aria but it like it comes at the expense of charlotte's character you know i i disagree with you about that okay. i
1: okay. think i think that aria can have this feeling and charlotte can be redeemed at the same time like we could have charlotte be redeemed and aria still be extremely skeptical of her reformation i think that those two things Could be held in either hand. It's just that the show, of course, doesn't choose to do that.
0: Oh, I totally agree with you. If they had included this and then we had gotten the Charlotte Redemption arc, I would have been all for it. But I feel like the show frames it as, like, this is the only way to feel Mm. about Charlotte, you know? Like, everybody else's feelings about Charlotte are inaccurate. Aria's are, like, the correct ones. And, I mean, I think Aria's are the most genuine based on, like, the information that she has about Charlotte. But, um. Yeah, it's it's a great moment. It's a great moment. I won't I won't get bogged down in my disappointment. I'll just say it's a great moment.
1: Well, and I think this is like really the range of Lucy Hale. Like, remember how funny she was at Jenna's hat party when she was running around yes. pouring ice tea on a camera. Like, it's just yeah. so funny. And then here, it's like a really like it's a really dramatic and and
0: moving scene for her. I also feel like um, at least in this particular scene. But I, I might say overall in the time jump, I don't know. We'll see as we go on. like, and this is actually I think this is like an interesting thing because, um, like with you know, the Sex and the City having like come back, and that the characters being different people. And I read a thing recently where somebody said that their feeling was that the characters had been sort of like frozen in time, and then like defrosted when this when the like this reboot started, and it felt like they hadn't progressed in the years since we hadn't seen them. And that's you know that's up for debate. People have different feelings about the show, but I I think that um a thing that PLL doesn't really take advantage of here is the idea of like how much these characters would have changed, particularly like Hannah is like a character who like her arc to me really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, But Aria, like when she's telling this story about being stuck on the train, like this feels like an experience that has actually happened to her. Like this feels like a character who has gone through a lot, who has like realized the value of honesty, you know, Aria who was always the best liar. Like she is the one throughout this episode saying like, no, tell the truth, tell the truth. Um, and so I I think like, I really like this progression for her character. Agreed. Uh, so then it's Mona's turn, Mona, who demanded to be heard. Uh, She has a whole speech typed out, but she quickly crumbles it up, refers to the liars as her friends, uh, then says she wishes that she could hate Charlotte, but she can't because she knows what Charlotte went through as a patient at Radley. Uh, Mona was only there for a little while. Charlotte was there for years. And being in that place is what made her who she was. Mona tearfully says to let her go, to let her go home. That's all any of us want is to have a home. Uh, She gets very emotional and walks out. My question is, did Mona plan this all from the start? Mm, What a great question. Because it almost, I mean, I wouldn't put it past Mona. Like, I really would not put it past her to, like, have planned this whole performance. And, I mean, unfortunately, we know that Mona eventually will kill Charlotte. Uh, But, like, I don't know. I kind of like the idea that this wasn't just her getting emotional. This was calculated in some way.
1: Hmm. I mean, with Mona, that's always that that's never a bad bet.
0: Yeah. You never know. You never know. It's like four dimensional chess, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. True. True. Uh, later on at the Radley Bar, Spencer and Emily are downing some drinks, drinks six and seven. <laughs> uh, Emily asks if it's weird for Spencer being at Radley now that it's a swanky hotel and Spencer kind of shrugs and says, if you want to exercise ghosts, you have to go where the ghosts are. Uh, Emily talks a bit about Sarah Harvey, uh, how she expected her to show up and show the judge, quote, what we did to her. Um, <laughs> yet another like veiled illusion. Uh, I'm so excited to get to Sarah Harvey so I can talk about like what our theories uh, could be about what the liars did to her if we didn't know. Um, a text comes through from Allison announcing Great news, the judge has let Charlotte out. Uh, She's going home with Allison tonight. Um, Hannah comes over and introduces Aria as the only honest woman in town. Aria apologizes to the other liars. Emily says they should be apologizing to her. Spencer toasts her saying that she is small, but she's mighty. Hannah makes them turn their phones off, all the way off, off, and then declares The coven of the sacred cocktail hour is now
0: in session. So, the first time you saw this episode, what do you think had happened to Sarah Harvey at this point, like before we've seen her? Something stupid. (laughs) (laughs) The way that Emily says it, we're gonna, she was gonna show the judge what we did to her. Like, I don't know, man.
1: Well, like, all we saw was them punching her, and so I was, like, I, I actually think that I kind of thought, like, um, like, maybe it was gonna be something like the Joker, like, they knocked her into a <laughs> vat of acid, and she had, like, a, a clown face now, or something, or that, like, I, I don't know, that they had, like, come back and, like, like, branded some kind of a slogan across her chest or something like I I did not know what to expect but I I knew it was probably gonna be it winds up being dumber than I had even imagined but yeah
0: yeah yeah um she may or may not have hands it remains to be seen (laughs) Uh, over at the De Laurentiis house, Allison is very excitedly prepping for Charlotte's return. Uh, we see that there is a big vase of flowers, purple flowers. Uh, she has some kind of baked treat that she's setting out on the table, uh, and she like is you know acting like it's Christmas morning as she hears a car pull up. Um, I I wonder like if this was a scheduling thing or what like why we get so little Vanessa Ray in this episode. Uh, I don't know. It's a weird choice. It's weird that we don't even see her like walking into the house to see Alice.
1: we don't even get that moment.
0: No, no, not at all.
1: Uh, So back at the Radley, the Liars are drinking drinks eight through 11 with discarded glasses around them that speak to drinks 12 through 16. Now, probably there are even more drinks because like Hannah's mom runs the place and they're sitting right by the bar. So, you know, it's not like a long time before these empties are getting busked. Uh, but anyway, uh, so and there's no, <laughs>
0: sorry to, sorry to clarify, but like we, do we see them eating? We don't see them eating no. through this, do we? No,
1: we do not see them. Okay. Eating. But you know what? I'm going to say one interesting thing about all the tracking of the drinking that I've done for this episode. Um, aria drinks the least of the liars you often will see a drink that she has not totally finished next to her and she has a drink in her hand and i think that that's so interesting because aria is really tiny and if she were drinking at the same rate that the other liars were oh my goodness
0: she would be like under this couch well i actually love that though because first of all i feel like lucy plays it as less intoxicated than the other actresses Mm -hmm. but i love it as the idea of like she has the clearest cleanest conscience because Mm -hmm. she didn't lie and that maybe they're like kind of dealing with some guilt by by piling on the booze
1: yes oh yes so drinks 12 through 16 spencer loves their faces uh she is drunky drunk uh they should get together more often hannah suggests all the beautiful cities that they could go to and party in Uh, Spencer says Allison and Charlotte can stay in that big, ugly house and bake cookies together. Uh, They devolve into laughter, uh, talking about the mental health related drinks that the Radley Bar could be selling because the show thinks electroshock is just that hilarious.
0: Yeah, this is bad. This is like very, very bad. All of these horribly insensitive titles that they're just like shouting across the bar.
1: Considering that Spencer was once institutionalized in Radley,
0: yes. yeah, yeah, she and they even they're like Spencer, who is first of all Spencer, who uh, is an addict. Like we have seen, she has been in treatment for addiction. Is very intoxicated here, and Hannah is like, "Let's get my friend another bipolar margarita." Whoa, there's like 5,000 red flags all over this very brief interaction. Also, Spencer is clearly like very horny and wants to sleep with all of them, which <laughs> um, <laughs> like she is just she is full of love. She might have taken some Molly. Like, I'm not sure what's going on here. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so later it is his last call, uh, Emily doesn't want this night to end. She- oh, go ahead. Oh,
1: we missed the shot of Rosewood. We get a shot of the streets of Rosewood uh, with nothing moving and there's a silver car.
0: And there's like the sound of the train, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe that's meant to remind us of, of Arya's trauma. Um, but it's last call. Emily wants to dance. Hannah suggests her hotel room. Um, there's kind of a great moment where Emily goes to, she's like goes to pull out her wallet and Hannah's like, no, my mom runs this joint. And uh, this is a joke that I'm stealing from the Bros Watch PLL 2 podcast. But I remember they were like, when Hannah opens up that check, does she just write like, my mom runs this joint? <laughs> does she just assume that all their drinks are covered? Because uh, <laughs> we see her like scrawling something in there that looks like more than just a signature. Um, so Spencer, who is like in the in the part of the night when you're drunk and just like very honest about about just what you're feeling and, and kind of uh, a bit embittered at the world, she says that she thought it wouldn't matter what they said because she thought that they would never let A out. She thought that they could all just lie one more time for Allison and it wouldn't matter, but they let A out. They let Charlotte out. And Arya suggests that wouldn't it just be the biggest cosmic joke ever if Charlotte got to live happily ever after? Uh, And Emily says, if she can do it, so can we. And they raise a toast to Charlotte. And, like, I – this is, like, where I wish the Charlotte storyline had gone. Like, I I actually love this moment. I love the idea of the liars, like, offering uh, some grace to Charlotte. I I love the idea of, like, them almost having this sort of, like, okay – you know acceptance like live and let live kind of attitude like I think that like to me one of the occasionally enduring beautiful things about PLL is the grace that the characters show themselves like I think we see that with Emily and Paige we see that later with Paige and Allison Um, and I really like the idea that they could have extended that grace here to Charlotte I think is is really lovely but uh, ultimately, it will not be. Uh, we also see a security camera watching them.
1: Yeah, um, this
0: is drinks seventeen
1: through twenty-one that they're <laughs> drinking in this round, with another empty putting us at twenty-two. Just to and just to keep uh, just to keep track here in this episode. Now, we're next. We're going to go into Hannah's suite, which she has invited them all back to. Uh, you know, they suggested getting a room earlier, and now. Here they are in the room. Uh, and we can see that the party continued with at least seven tiny bottles of hard liquor from the mini bar. So puts us at 29 drinks all told. Uh, Hannah is sneaking back into the room with an ice bucket and the wide shot reveals Spencer and Aria sleeping on the giant sofa on opposite ends. Emily asleep in the bed and it also reveals, I am not making this up, an additional 11 mini bar bottles. The show is like, these ladies were so drazunk that it is just like, I know that they have youthful livers, but damn, our drink total is at 40. 40 drinks <laughs> in this one episode. Um, wow. Um,
0: wow. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. It is a lot. It is, a, that is like, if if every liar, if it was divided up evenly, every single liar would have had about 10 drinks in this episode.
0: That is a lot considering this episode takes place over like two days. Right. Well, and I, I said this to you over text, but um, it, Emily's whatever's going on with Emily medically in this episode is played <laughs> as something sort of like secretive and perhaps nefarious. And and there sort of seems to be playing with this idea of like, oh, is Emily maybe um, either a drug dealer or a drug addict at this point? Uh, Super weird that they're like, for all we know, this could be a normal medical condition. It turns out to be preparation for her egg donation. Uh, That This is all treated as like something weird and secretive. And the Liars, like, binge drinking throughout this episode (laughs) is treated as something utterly normal. This is just a normal part of young adulthood.
1: Oh, my God. Yes. I feel like, is everybody having a good time or is it binge drinking? Like, this medically, this is binge drinking. Like, all of them are binge drinking. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, great. So, there's ice. Uh, Emily's in the bed. Uh, Spencer gingerly gets up as Hannah wishes that they made quiet ice cubes. Uh, and the, the two of them are kind of hydrating together. Um, Spencer looks at Hannah's giant ring and kind of holds Hannah's hand in a really adorable way. Uh, Hannah asks if Spencer's gonna see Toby. Uh, Spencer indulges in her like Toby related wistfulness. Uh, as She reveals that he's building some girl a house. All she got was that rocking chair and some lucky girl's gonna get a house. Spencer he's not that good at building things. Like don't get, <laughs> don't get so excited. Um, Hannah is very, very funny. She's like holding her stomach a little as she asks, with tools (laughs) about Toby building the house. Um, They can't get into it too much more as the room phone rings. Um, Aria like stirs and Hannah tells her to sit, stay. Uh, We hear a protest that she is not a poodle. But meanwhile, Emily has woken up and knocked her purse off the bed which contains more bom-bom-bom prescription medication. Um, thank you for knocking over your mic just as Emily <laughs> dropped her bag off the bed. That was its like a radio play with sound effects. <laughs> it was a mic drop moment <laughs> there, yeah. <laughs> so uh, whatever's going on with her prescriptions, uh, this is treated like a major secret uh, as Emily like furtively tries to sweep everything back into her bag before anyone else can see. Uh, and then we hear Hannah on the phone with Allison.
0: Yes. Um, I kind of realized something as we were watching, as we're, or I was watching this particular scene, which is that, you know, my uh, Spanish shipping really developed in this time period, like post-jump. I think it's because Ashley seems most engaged in her scenes with Troyan. Like, I really think that that is a big part of it. And I definitely think she seems most engaged in this little interaction that she has, um, this Hannah-Spencer interaction. Even, short as it is, like, it's the most Hannah to me that Hannah feels in the whole episode.
1: Um. Yeah, I, you know, I'm actually going to say this is one of the most Hannah-feeling moments of the jump.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, So Allison has some bad news. She doesn't know where Charlotte is. all of the liars kind of have this look of like, really? (laughs) We're very hungover. We've just had a lot of alcohol. And now we don't know where Charlotte is. Uh, Allison quickly expositioned that she had a great time with Charlotte and Dr. Rollins, who like hung out there all night, which is super weird. Uh, But in the morning, Charlotte was gone. Her stuff is there, but she isn't. Uh, Hannah advises her to call the police. I, I, Allison, like, almost seems to need Hannah's permission to call the police, which is weird. Um, and the liars are all very concerned. Not in the. Uh, Allison is concerned, I think, for Charlotte's well being. The liars seem more concerned that perhaps Charlotte is going to come after them. Yes,
1: yes. Um, cut to a bunch of purple flower petals, a flower clutched in a cold, dead hand a blue tarp going down over a body. And then we get Officer Tobey on the scene with Detective Lorenzo in a suit at his side. Uh, Tobey gives us the rundown of how she was found by the sexton. He saw the church had been broken into, the shutter of the bell tower was open. Uh, He saw her here on the ground. Lorenzo asks if he's sure about the identification. And Toby says there was a hospital ID and he saw her face, it is Charlotte. De Laurentiis, gotta say, this leaves a lot of room for Charlotte faking her own death with a coconut oil mask, and it also looks pretty good for Toby being the killer, as the scene echoes his mom's non-suicide so well.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is that is true. Um, also, uh, guess who's here, Lorenzo. <laughs> so glad, Detective Lorenzo. So glad, man that nobody missed. I know that like I had, as we know, I had totally forgotten that he comes back and uh, yeah, was not, uh, was not delighted, was not (laughs) delighted by, uh, by his presence here. Um, So let's see, are we back at the De house now? Mm -hmm. So this is an interesting scene, actually, because Allison is uh, crying and lying in bed. Uh, while Emily and Rollins watch over her, Emily, uh, Rollins basically tells Emily to stay until she falls asleep. He says that if he thought there was any chance of Charlotte taking her own life, he never would have let her leave the hospital. Uh, Emily goes to sit down beside Allison, who is in tears. Allison reaches for her hand. Emily kind of maybe hesitates a little and then reaches back. Uh, this is Interesting because it is not explored at all why Emily is the only liar here in this moment. Uh, th- this is like, it's weird, like the way that the scene is shot
1: where first we get like Emily and Dr. Rollins from behind and they're both like kind of standing there looking like dark witches. Like they're like, <laughs> they're like, you know, all in black. They're kind of like looming over where Allison is. It, it, like I, I think the show... Is trying to like draw a connection between them in terms of like, I-, I don't know. Are they trying to say they're rivals for Allison? Are they trying to say that like this is Allison's type? I don't really know. Um, but yeah, this is like an Emerson handhold because of course, uh Emerson can only appear during the full trauma moon. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. She's she's like a she's like a like a special owl that only comes comes fluttering over Allison's window when Allison is like in, in dire straits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh,
1: So then next there is a knock on the door of Hannah's suite. Uh, She's hoping for room service, but it's Caleb. Um, She is surprised, but she doesn't seem unhappy to see him. Uh, He explains that Spencer called him and told him what happened he kind of awkwardly tries to describe his DC-based interactions with Spencer and also reveals later on in the conversation that he is staying in her barn. Um, he says that he heard about what happened and thought he could help. Maybe it was just a reflex. They make some small talk, and it's a well-done scene. It is clear that like the ease and comfort with which they used to interact are still very accessible, and that that makes both of them very uncomfortable. Um, He's going to stay for the funeral. They briefly talk about Hannah's work and he describes her as a roadie for a bunch of dresses. Same as it ever was, Uh, you know, flirt with the girl by belittling what she does. Um, He answers the next knock on the door, which is like, that is like so Caleb. That is so Caleb to like come uninvited to your hotel room and then answer the door next time someone knocks. Um, This time it is room service. Uh, they agree that they're still friends, and then he leaves. After he's gone, Hannah twists that big old diamond ring on her finger and frowns.
0: Yeah, I think this is a great scene. I I really, like, to me, this scene is so emblematic of why they should not get back together. Um, but also, I think it's such a great touch that, like, he's almost compulsively bringing up Spencer throughout this scene. And every time he brings up Spencer you can sort of, like, feel Hannah twitch or, like, stiffen or something. Flinch, flinch. Like, yes, yeah. She's just, something is, she's, like, she she has this radar of, like, every time he's bringing up Spencer, you can tell that she's, like, running a tally in her mind. And you can tell that, like, Spencer has just become a part of his life in a way where he doesn't even really think about it. Like, which I think is such a great, like character detail the way that they portray that they don't they don't overplay it I think they play it really nicely
1: yeah I I definitely agree there uh in the world I I feel like we talk about so many things as they relate to PLL but in the world of the Bridget Jones novels this would be known as mentionitis uh what Caleb (laughs) is doing regarding Spencer is a clear-cut case of mentionitis
0: (laughs) gotcha gotcha Uh, And speak of the devil and she shall appear uh, downstairs at the Radley. Here is Spencer. She asks Caleb how it was complicated. Caleb replies. It's, you know, the, the uh, Hala buzzword there. Uh, She says that that's why she didn't want to come up. She says that she's glad he's here. And they kind of talk about how weird it is to be here at the Radley. He suggests that people get do overs. Why shouldn't buildings? This is a fascinating moment because then they walk off in like perfect sync, like a dance. And what's great is like, you can't really tell based on this scene if they're a couple yet. Like you can tell that they want to be if they're not. But the way that this scene plays, like they could already be together or they could not be. And I think it's so interesting. We just came off of this Haleb scene that like has this very palpable like X tension. And this, absolutely, this moment, it's a small moment, it completely has the energy of two people who, like, want to tear each other's clothes off. Like, the chemistry between them is on fire here.
1: I completely, I love this scene. This is one of my favorite scenes of the episode, where, like, he comes out to meet her. At one point, she's walking backwards, but she's still matching his pace. And then when they walk off together, like, across this tiled floor, and their strides are in perfect sync, like the the, the, sh- the way the scene is shot really conveys like the clear message that like this is a well matched pair.
0: Yeah and it like it kind of kills me watching this that like they get sort of such a raw deal because it's like Yeah, they really are a well matched pair. Like, and it Mm -hmm. feels exciting. Like, the chemistry between them is crackling, but it's not just sexual tension. Like, there's a real warmth here. Spencer seems more at ease than she has for really this entire episode. Caleb seems a lot more relaxed than he did up in that hotel room with Hannah. Like, it just, they just work. Yeah. Like, and I'm just, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say, listeners, like, I've talked about it before. But now we're like getting into the heart of Spaleb and like I'm going to go on a record like I ship Spaleb like sorry not sorry if that's not your jam but like I'm coming out as a Spaleb shipper at least early Spaleb.
1: Yeah, I actually um you'll you'll get no arguments from me on that. I also think that Spaleb is one of the most interesting things that they tried uh during this jump uh and it is it is a bummer the way that it ends.
0: Totally. Totally. But I'm like I'm I'm actually kind of excited that like we're at the the beginning of it here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I totally
1: agree. Ooh, at the funeral, Charlotte or a dummy with a coconut oil mask is in the coffin. <laughs> the liars are there. Allison and Dr. Rollins are there. Mona is there. Caleb and Presra are sitting together like they are on an awkward band-aid. Um, a bunch of extras fill the rest of the church. The funeral po- program looks like a playbill. Uh, the door opens. And who enters dramatically, clad in a black veil, and accompanied by a bodyguard slash driver, <laughs> slash manservant, <laughs> Sarah Harvey. Uh, She is moving like an android with vacant eyes and wearing gray leather gloves because, of course, we're in the era of Does Sarah Harvey Have Hands? Uh, Her manservant leads her to a pew and she pulls back the dramatic veil and looks over at the liars who all immediately look away. Um, So let us all brainstorm what we are supposed to think happened to sarah harvey Did, is what happened that the liars replaced her with an android
0: yeah it's it she has a very ter- she has a very terminator-esque energy to her here i think i said to you that like it felt like she'd gone to the same acting school as arnold schwarzenegger here like is she is she a robot um is are her hands made of clay? Like her hands look, the gloves that she's wearing look a bit clay-like. So that was one of my thoughts. Like have her hands been replaced by clay hands? Now it's interesting that you got a clay
1: hands vibe because I got uh, the sense that maybe what had happened to Sarah Harvey uh, was that the liars had taken her human hands and sewn some, like, ham hocks of ham to the end oh, of her arm. okay, okay. And then sort of nibbled them away so the oven mitts could be placed over them. And that is what Sarah Harvey has now instead of hands. She just has, like, giant things <laughs> of ham uh, that can be, like, forced into various glove shapes. That is how she's moving. I get, I get a vibe of they're actually hams inside of gloves oh that would smell so bad it would i mean she probably lives a very tough life <laughs> smells like rotting ham everywhere she goes cats like follow her down the street it's,
0: it's difficult it's difficult to be her i can't believe the liars would do that sarah ham hands heart <laughs> uh, so i feel like another possibility is that maybe her hands are like um like they've turned to like marble and oh. so maybe her whole body is, is like slowly turning into marble. Like maybe she is oh. turning into a statue. In,
1: in the books of game of Thrones, that's what grayscale is.
0: You turn into a
1: statue. Okay. okay. So she might, she might have grayscale. She They might've like transported her briefly uh, to like a medieval fantasy and now she's back, but she has grayscale.
0: Right. And it's it started at her hands and it's just sort of slowly gonna travel up the rest mm-hmm, of
1: her body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how it is. You touch something that has grayscale, and then that's how that's how it gets you. Yes.
0: I feel like another possibility is that her hands are like some kind of very fragile porcelain that she can't, you know, she has to be very careful about the way that she moves them. hmm mm-hmm. Yes, it's very dramatic
1: when she takes the hands. <laughs> and like flips up her veil, like that's when she's moving them, like they're like, or like she has like Mickey Mouse hands, like her hands have been replaced with like Mickey Mouse, uh, and so she can like only move them in very
0: broad ways, or like doll hands, like maybe they're like Barbie oh, yeah. hands, and like she oh, doesn't have yeah. like joint mobility anymore, right? Like, right. could be arthritis for all we know. <laughs>
1: Now did that happen at Radley, or did Emily like? Did they just go at it way too hard, <laughs> way too much? Is it like a repetitive stress injury?
0: Oh my god! Oh my god! Is this thing that Emily had, like so guilty for? It wasn't like, oh, we like pushed her hands into a vial of acid. It was like, Sarah Harvey and I had such aggressive sex that I like. Her early onset arthritis. <laughs> I think, I think we'd have to, I think we'd have to, like, give the time jump, like, four stops. If it was that, if it was that, if it was, like, like, Emily was, like, or maybe it's a thing of, like, Emily blames herself because, like, she feels like she triggered Sarah's (laughs) fearness, Like, she sort of activated it, and it's, like, these past five years, Sarah's just been, like, going to town on everybody and like oh and
1: now right right now it's like a carpal tunnel situation it's yeah
0: yeah yeah maybe Sarah just has a very strenuous desk job where she's like doing a lot of typing maybe she has tennis elbow like (laughs) (laughs) it's very difficult to say but also like
1: this is again the show has like one idea and the idea is that the liars is like So we're supposed to, like, this is supposed to be, like, Jenna the redux. The liars did something. But, like, that is so silly because, like, Jenna was, like, a teenage girl who Allison didn't like. And the liars tossed a lit firecracker into her garage, causing her to be blinded. Sarah was, like, (laughs) trying to blow up the liars and Charlotte and Allison, and herself. And, like, I just feel like there are very different, like, very, very different levels of culpability uh, in those
0: two things, both legally and morally. I would agree. I would agree. I also feel like... Um, and I, I feel, uh, honestly, slightly hypocritical since we've just spent the last ten minutes laughing about Sarah Harvey. But, like, there's also the the... Weird interaction with, like, disabilities is is not lost on me here. Like, the way that it's, like, Jenna's disability is treated as something spooky. Sarah's is almost treated as, like, the funny spooky version, you know? And And, like, but it's also, like, not even a... Like, whatever's going on with Sarah I don't think is actually a real disability. I think it's a thing that the show... I'm not sure what Sarah has going on. It's something <laughs> with the show made up. It's 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 what happens to your hands when you put them on a battery when you're blowing up a hospital when you're a red coat alien who likes showers. Like I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she just has really severe eczema from all the showers. Oh, right,
1: right. That that could certainly be. Um, also, she's in the Black Widow costume, and I really wish. That it had been the same Black Widow costume I that know. we saw before. I wish it was like she walked in and she was dressed as Black Widow and everybody was just like, instead of being mystified, they were like, oh, Sarah Harvey. <laughs> like, <laughs> or if like somebody yes. went over and like yanked out her veil and they were like, oh, you again. <laughs> um, I I would have really, I, I would have
0: really enjoyed uh, either of those things more than what we get here. <laughs> also what if she had showed up with a mask of allison's face on
1: oh that would have been so great
0: yeah there are a lot of things that could have
1: (laughs) that could have happened here but just man sadly sadly do not also how how is it like jenna always used to have drivers too like so like In the world of PLL, like, you are issued a spooky disability and a manservant at the same time. Like, a rotating cat. Why does Sarah, regardless of whether or not she has hands, why does she need someone to, like, help her into the pew in this way?
0: And, like, walk her across the street later on? I think it's to bat the cats away when they're going after her (laughs) This guy just has, is. like, he just has, like, cat treats in his pocket. And he just, like, is, like, throwing them to the neighborhood cat. Like, get out of here. Get out of here. Um, Excellent yeah. point. Yeah. I also feel like both in the case of Jenna's manservant and this manservant, there's, like, a vague... I don't know if it's just me extrapolating or, like, something the show is putting in. It feels like there's, like, a vague, like, male prostitute vibe. Hmm. I think it would have been much more interesting. like
1: as we've talked about, like any character is more interesting when it's a woman. If she had had a female servant uh, kind of walking her around, I think that would have been really good.
0: Well, also I don't see why they can't just have it be a character. We know like they're already having (laughs) people come back. Like why not have it be, I don't know, Lucas or Noel or Jenna or, you know, Jenna leading Sarah. Oh my God. The two of them (laughs) trying to lead each other to their seats. Now that's an entrance. Oh, man. Yeah. So outside the church, uh, the liars are standing around. Hannah's dress has a very, very high uh, slit up the thigh. Did you see that? Yes. <laughs> uh, there's an interesting moment where Caleb says that he will grab the car and he does this sort of <clears throat> like unconscious, very couple back touch to Spencer that we see Hannah notice, which I think is very uh, a, a good little moment. Uh, Emily suggests that Sarah is here to make sure that Charlotte is really dead, a la Black Widow. Uh, Sarah gives them a very creepy grin before getting into the car. Alas, she does not get into the car and turn around and say, Charlotte's dead. (laughs) Um, The liars get ready to leave, but they are stopped by Lorenzo, who is wondering about their plans because the autopsy report has revealed that charlotte was dead when she was thrown from the bell tower and her death is being ruled a homicide and wouldn't you know it all the liars have motives they're told to expect a call um the liars ponder whether someone was waiting for charlotte to get out so that they could uh kill her and there's a great exchange here where is it hannah who says i want to go home
1: I couldn't tell if it was Hannah or Aria actually who says
0: that like their costumes, their lines are somewhat indistinct in this episode. <laughs> so one of them says that, and then Spencer says, we are home. And I actually love that as a closing line for the episode. I think it's so great. We get this kind of like swooping shot of the bell tower, Patsy Klein starts singing crazy. Uh, but then we get this last shot of a town car watching the liars drive away or watching the liars before driving away. Um, who is this person? Doesn't really matter. We don't really know. <laughs> yeah, I had actually almost forgotten
1: that there was this like ominous town car that was always lurking around during this period. Yeah, and I was like, it's not even very well shot to like like no. like clue you in that this town car is part of a mystery, um, especially because we just saw Sarah in a town car, uh, and we also just saw Mona run off. And we also saw Caleb say he was going to get the car, so like. There's really not any reason to be suspicious of a black car here at a funeral. Um, But based on the fleet of black cars that like lurk around suspiciously for the rest of the half season, uh, it is meant to be suspicious. It is meant to launch this other part of the mystery. Uh, And this is like, the episode was like pretty good overall. But when I saw this black car, I was like, oh, right. We're right back to like, the show doesn't actually know who's in the car. Is it Mary Drake? Is it Alex Drake? Is it like, who is it? It actually doesn't matter. Um, So we're like right back again uh, to to where the show has been, uh, where nothing actually makes any kind of difference.
0: Yeah, it's it's some some mysterious figure probably wearing four masks on top of masks. Um, But yeah, that is the episode. That is our first jump into the time jump. What are your final thoughts?
1: man i I was surprised I liked this episode more than I thought I would. Um also, it would have been such a great secret if Caleb and Spencer were already married,
0: oh yeah, oh, I would have loved that. I would have loved that, yeah, or if the, yeah, if they were if they were already engaged or they were already I don't like. As we talked about last week, and, and not to be a broken record, but like there are so many storylines where it's like it could have just been a little more developed. And I think their relationship maybe they felt like that would feel like too much of a betrayal if that had happened off screen, but I don't know. I, I think like dirty it up a little, like <laughs> be a little yeah. show. Well, yeah, we get uh so
1: like as as we're coming back into the season, uh the secrets we know that Emily has this prescription drug secret, and we get the sense that something's going on with her and the Salk Institute and college. Like, that's telegraphed pretty clearly. Um, We also know that something's going on with Spencer and Caleb. We're not totally sure what exactly that is. Um, But I feel like we don't really have a sense, like, the only sense that we really have with Aria and Hannah is like, oh, something might be going on With these guys who they're supposedly dating.
0: One might even say new guys, new
1: lies. (laughs) One might.
0: One might. might. Um, Yeah, it's, there's not a whole lot of intrigue. I think, like you said, the show is anticipating us to be more intrigued by both the Nicole mystery and the Sarah mystery. Um, But yeah, this episode was, was more intriguing, I think, than I had remembered as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I
1: do like I like the Hannah and Spencer scene uh, where, you know, they're talking about the ring and about Toby. Uh, I like the Spencer Caleb scene where they're walking across the lobby. I like the Emily Toby scene where they're drinking together um, on her porch. There's there's a lot of um, I I feel like there's a lot of good stuff here.
0: I like a lot of the Spencer stuff in this episode. I like her scene with Toby. I like her scene with her mom a lot. I like her scene, like we talked about, her scene with Caleb, her scene with Hannah. Like, I think she is probably... I think Emily is probably the most intriguing character just because they're... It seems like she's hiding the most after this episode. But I think Spencer probably, like, fares the best in the episode as a whole.
1: Yeah. I like this episode because in this episode there is a natural tension about the liars being back in Rosewood. Like they are not comfortable here. Uh, And I think that that is important. Uh, And I think that that gives it like a different flavor and a more compelling dynamic. I think as the time jump goes on and it's like everybody is just staying in Rosewood for reasons that are never quite certain. Uh, that just makes it feel like same as it ever was. Like that, that feels much less distinct and much less adult at those points.
0: I remember, um, did you ever watch the show Weeds? No. Um, But do you know the premise of Weeds? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So this, you know, the, this mom starts selling pot. And um, I remember this quote that I read one time about Weeds that I thought I think is kind of applicable to PLL at this point where they were talking about how the show had morphed from a show where you completely understood why the main character was making the choices that she made and how she was sort of in a position where like her only option was to uh, make these choices that put her family, you know, her kids and herself uh, in a fair amount of danger and that over time, the show became like, oh, I totally get these choices. To like, why is this character making these choices when she now has so many other choices at her disposal? And I sort of feel like that's where some of this time jump stuff goes, where it's like at the beginning, okay, we've been summoned by the courts. We get it. They're, you know, they haven't seen each other in a long time. They want to see each other. We get why they're here. And then over time, it becomes, why are they here? Like they're here just for the sake of the story. You know, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, but as of now, I'm intrigued. I'm excited. Um, as we said, we are going to do a little Charlotte retrospective next week. So if you have any thoughts about Charlotte or about this episode, we would love to hear from you. Uh, is there anything else that you want to say about this episode before we close it out? No, I don't think so. If you guys
1: have any theories or you remember any theories from what you had back in the day about what had happened to Sarah Harvey and her hand hands, please yes. let us know
0: yes yes I yeah at, we would love we would love to hear your theories you can of course send us an email at everybodyapodcast.gmail.com at uh, you can also check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast you can also send in a rating and review on iTunes we would appreciate it uh, we will be back with uh, with our Charlotte episode so you know until then I think in the immortal words of Charlotte DeLaurentis act normal bitches <laughs> take care oh, 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 oh